next week I'll be giving a, a, our traditional kind of sermon on vital signs. But today is really a special day at New Life, as Ruth mentioned, uh, because for the past few years, um, Pete has been writing a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And it comes out next week officially, but today New Lifers are getting advanced. First, I just want to give Pete a big round of applause for a major... A major, major accomplishment that is really serving literally thousands of people around the world, hundreds of churches, maybe not, if not thousands of churches around the world. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to Matthew 26. That's going to be our text that is going to frame this conversation I'm going to have with Pete today. Uh, and I wanted him to come up because as we're in this series on our vital signs, uh, a pathway to a deep beneath the surface transformation, there was a chapter in the book that I really thought was appropriate uh, for this series because um, it really helps us uh, to do what we're talking about with these vital signs. And so there's a passage out of Matthew 26, and, and Pete in a moment will, will talk about why this is our passage today. Uh, but this is a very familiar passage, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray in this uh, conversation uh, that I have with Pete here that you would speak to us profoundly that we would walk out of here having encountered Jesus through scripture, through these, these incredible truths and what you've really deposited uh, in Pete uh, for the sake of our own journeys and for the sake of the world. And so I pray your blessing over us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, all of us in this room, whether you know it or not, we have a dark side. All of us in this room have a dark side. No matter how old you are or young you are, you have a dark side. No matter how rich you are, how poor you are, you have a dark side. No matter where you're from, where you live, you have a dark side. No matter how spiritual you are or non-spiritual, you have a dark side. And I was reminded of this by uh, watching again for about the 30th time, The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, it comes on about TNT every, you know, three weeks. And... Uh, you guys watch it too with me then. And, and so uh, for those of you that have never watched Lord of the Rings, first of all, what's up? All right, what's going on? Um, but it tells the story of, uh, uh, of, of this guy named Frodo who's the protagonist of, in the story. And Frodo, there is, there is a ring of power that has corrupted many people uh, in that day. And so they realize we need to destroy this ring of power. 
and, but we can't give it to anyone because the ring easily corrupts people. And so who can we give this ring to to destroy? And so they identify this hobbit named Frodo Baggins. And Frodo is this, this, this picture of innocence. He's a picture of humility. He's a picture of courage. And so they say, of course, if there's anyone who can take this ring and destroy it, it would be Frodo. And so Frodo journeys to Mordor with his friend Sam as they try to destroy this ring. And so... Eight hours go by, three movies. You're just watching them journey, journey. He's going to, when is he going to destroy this ring? When is he going to destroy the ring? And finally he gets to Mordor. Finally he gets to the place where he has got to destroy this ring, this innocent, humble-looking hobbit about to just destroy the ring. And at the end of the movie, by the time, I'm going to spoil it for those of you that have never seen the movie. I'm sorry. This is part of my sermon illustration. You know, at the end of the movie, he's about to destroy the ring. And, and all of a sudden, he pauses. And you're like, Frodo, why are you pausing, man? Just throw it in there. Throw it in there. And in that moment, nine hours of my time later, um, Frodo turns into this there. All of a sudden, he turns into this. And instead of destroying the ring, he wants to now take possession of the ring. And what's happened is instead of just him taking possession of the ring, the, the ring has taken possession of him and turned him into that. Now, when I watched the movie again, I, I realized again, yet again, that, that we are a mixed bag. All of us are a mixed bag. There is light that we give out to the world, and then there is darkness that we project to the world. Our country is a mixed bag. There's great good that our country does, and then there's great evil that our country does. We are a mixed bag. And unless we deal with this, this dark side of us, which we're calling the shadow, which Pete and I are going to have a conversation on, we are in deep trouble. And so Pete has spent a lot of time uh, looking at his own shadow. Sounds like a fun thing to do. And, and his own dark side, really for the sake of us, of our, of our church and for, for Christians and people around the world. And so before we get into specifically, Pete, just uh, the shadow that permeates every person's life, um, I want to just, just frame the book for us. Um, this is your uh, almost fourth book now, um, and Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Daily Office. And, you know, Jerry and you wrote Emotionally Healthy Woman, and now we have the Emotionally Healthy Leader. So why did you write the book? And uh, in terms of the central theme, what is that about? You know, actually, uh, this book, all my major books have come out of our life at New Life Fellowship Church. Uh, in other words, it's not like I'm making this stuff up. It comes out of our, our life learning with Jesus as a community over actually now it's 28 years. And so what happened in 2007, our church had grown. Um, and as our board and those in leadership, I see to this left up there, I see Andrew over here. We were wrestling with a number of issues as our church was growing at 20, 25 people, I think, on staff at that point. And I realized that I was at a, I was at a personal wall and that there were some issues that needed to be addressed in our church, but that they were deeply related to Pete Scazzaro's own stuff. And so I, at that point, was at a real crossroads. I actually wondered, should I just leave this place so someone who's got it together can take it forward and lead it. But I realized God was inviting me to face my shadow, to go somewhere, and he wanted to teach me some things. And so actually in 2007, I began this journey into what I, I call actually my fourth conversion. And I began to take notes 
um, in my journal. I wasn't planning to write a book. I had no intention. I just taken notes of what I was learning. Because I've read all the leadership books out there as a Christian for years. I've gone to all the leadership conferences. But we were hitting certain issues that we, I, I just had not been addressed. So I took notes for about six and a half years um, in a journal. And then I basically said, oh, my gosh. I wish someone had told me this stuff. Because we learned a lot. Our church, I think, blossomed. We ended up going through succession. I mean, we just learned so many phenomenal lessons as a leader. And I wanted to get them on paper for young leaders that would follow. And uh, so for the last 18 months, that's what I did. was basically getting it into print and organizing it. So uh, when you write Emotional Healthy Leader, a couple of things. Uh, many of us in this room might not consider ourselves leaders, but you say everyone in this room, to some, some capacity or another, is a leader. Yeah, so leadership actually can be defined as the capacity to influence. Every one of us has the capacity to influence. You may be a mom at home. I was talking to one of our uh, former police officers. He was a cop for 20, 25 years. He's now stepped down. He's in transition. And he has a lot of power. He can say, I'm from New York City. I was a police officer for 20 years. You know, I live in the Bronx. That's power, you know. <laughs> People look at you differently. And, um, but we have influence in families, in relationships, at workplaces. Whether we're in a formal position of leadership or not, we have gifts and talents. And so, really, the book's about how you exercise that power that God's given you and that influence. So it does apply to everybody. I mean, the book could have been called Integrity. Uh, it's really about integrity. It's about integration of our spirituality into all of life. Because I realized in 2007 that I had not done some work of integration of my spirituality into the way that I led New Life Fellowship. I'm talking about hiring, firing, board meetings, planning, job descriptions, job performance evaluations. I hadn't done a lot of thought, thinking, prayerfulness, wrestling with how does my spirituality integrate that uh, here at New Life. I knew what all the secular literature said, but I realized it was touching some deep areas inside of me as well as some significant theological issues. So that's how the book got. And you told me this past week that Matthew 26 passage, yeah. why was that passage uh, and why is that passage? It's actually one of the more famous passages of Jesus saying, not my will, but your will be done. Why would that pass so meaningful, you, meaningful for you? This was the most, this book was obviously the most, this was the most painful thing I've written. I, I actually almost, I was inches away from not writing it because it was, I had to basically wrestle with all of my mistakes over a 26-year period and wrestle with what happened, why it happened, what was my part in it. It was very painful. And I actually had to go back and repair a couple of relationships that I had, you know, hurt. Um, and how I exercised my own power and leadership. It was, it was, so it probably took me twice as much time as my other books in terms of energy and, and all that. Uh, but I reason, not, the reason that passage is so significant for me because a part of me did not want to do this. Um, Jesus was wrestling, my father, not my will, but your will be done. May this cup pass for me. I felt like there was a cup I had to drink uh, for myself to, to let God into some areas of my life that needed to be changed and to face some of my own shadow that I really did not want to face. Um, but I, you know, I drank it. I'll be honest, I drank the cup and I found out I actually was like liberated. I felt like our whole church got liberated. And that's why I said, I got to write this thing down, not just for our church for the future when I'm not around anymore. Just we should have, we should codify it um, for the next generation. And so that's how really it, it came out. And it seems what you're saying there is just the, the facing our shadow really is a cup that God has before us, yes. that we have an opportunity to say, I'm not going to do it or your yeah. will be done. Uh, just quickly before we get into the shadow, just the, how did you organize the book? So um, there's a couple of main illustrations. Think of a tree. A tree has roots um, and then it has fruits and branches. So the book's divided into two neat parts, that the inner life is the bottom part. 
and then you got your outer life, the top part. So I basically identified you can't just do parenting. You just can't do I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a boss at work. I'm not just I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a social worker. I'm a teacher. Who you are on the inside informs everything you do. What, who you are, uh, what you do matters. Who you are matters even more. So I identified four key issues in, in, our, in our fence, our inner life. Face your shadow. Lead out of your marriage or singleness. That how you do marriage if you're married or how you do singleness if you're single as a Christian is critically important and informs how you live your whole life. It's a big discipleship issue. Um, slow down for love and union. The, your ability to slow down for time with Jesus informs everything you do in your outer life. If you don't do it, if you do do it, how you do it, the level you do it. And then lastly, practice Sabbath delight. That you've got a rhythm in your life of work and Sabbath. Your whole life isn't just work. And then, and then I basically identified four core outer life issues that they inform planning and decision making. How you do decisions as a family, as a personal uh, person at work. How you build a culture. Culture is not just our ethnic cultures, but our workplaces have cultures, our schools have cultures, our country has a culture. I mean, our church has a culture. And uh, how do we shape the culture that we're in? And how do we build healthy teams? And then how do we use power and wise boundaries? We all have power. Many of us are unaware of it. How we exercise that power, how we set healthy boundaries. And lastly, how we do endings and new beginnings. Uh, which I actually climax the whole thing by talking about succession. But you can't talk about these outer life issues without talking about the inner life. Because that inner life informs how you do it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So talking about the shadow, I like to say um, that... At New Life, in the front of our building, that we should have a sign that says, enter at your own risk, because we are inviting you to go places in your spirituality, in your discipleship, that you typically don't wake up in the morning saying, I feel like facing my shadow today. You know, I just feel like facing my dark side. No one volunteers to do that kind of stuff. You kind of like fall into that by being a part of this congregation. And so um, facing the shadow, first let, let's just define some terms. People, you know, how do you define the shadow? And how does the shadow come out in relationships, in parenting, marriage? Uh, how's that come out? So here it is. So we're, we're going to just deal with one, the first inner life issue, which is actually the first chapter, Face Your Shadow. So that's it. I mean, it's, it, it, if we're Lord of the Rings, it's Gollum, you know. It's what you do when you get triggered by somebody, you know. And, uh, but in some ways, we're all a bit of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in that. We, we've got, um, if you know the story by Stevenson in the 1800s, right, he, he's two people. At night, this, this person comes out, it's all this unconscious stuff, and then he, you know, hits, beats up people in the street and all that. But, but we've all got that side. So here's a, here's a little definition of it, and we'll unpack it. You know, the shadow is the accumulation of untamed, less-than-pure motives and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behavior. It's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. It's not just sin. It can be sin, but it's also it's just tendencies. It's, so it's a little bit larger, a little bit more complex than that. Um, so let's talk about what is that, you know, what is that? Yeah, it says for parenting, for, um, you know, your your. You're a preacher. You have to do a presentation at the, at the office. How's the shadow come out? Because we all have shadows, all right, every one of us. The question is, what do we do with it as it emerges? So, for example, on, on one level, let's take um, we speak, right? We, we preach, and hopefully we're bringing Jesus to you. That's a good thing. The question, though, the shadow part may be that I'm also doing it. I, 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 I desperately need your affirmation. 
Um, I have an insatiable need for you to tell me I'm fantastic as you walk out the door. You with me? And so it's like a mix, it's a shadow, and so that can drive what I even speak on and how I speak. But I, if I'm not aware of it, it can drive me. Let's take, for example, you're into good doctrine. You want people to, to really follow right biblical doctrine, which is a good thing. The shadow might be that you're actually mean when you're talking to people who disagree with you, who have, in a sense, you'd say bad doctrine. And so your attitude becomes very judgmental. That's a shadow. Uh, it might be something as you're goal-oriented. You set goals, and you, one, two, three, four step, you know, steps to get there. But your shadow might be that to get your goals, you actually step over people or you use people or you don't even see people because you've got your, your direction. Or you love to serve, so you're serving. And even your family gathers for the holidays. And you're in the kitchen the whole time working and serving, but that's a good thing to serve, but your shadow might be you're actually avoiding getting close to people. And it's your way to avoid having to be intimate with your family. And so you just, it looks great that you're serving, but it's got a shadow side to it too. So um, parenting, same thing, you're a parent, you know, you, you want your kid to do the best they can, that's great. We, we all want our kid to do the best they can. The problem is you're driving your kid and pushing into a perfectionism because that's your shadow, coming back from who knows where, your mom, your grandma, to be an A student, to get into the best schools, to make a lot of money. To be, and, you're, and, and there's an anxiety that you're transmitting to that child that's coming out of your shadow. But you're completely unaware of it. You say, I'm just being a great parent, like every good Italian-American parent. But no, it's actually really a shadow. And it doesn't really belong in the kingdom of God. And unless you're aware of it, you're going to pass it on. Um, and same thing with work, work right? I mean, I, you know, you're, you're a boss at work or, or you're a teacher. And you want things to go really well. And that's a good thing. But as you know, you can be a real pain in the neck at work because you're a perfectionist and it's never enough. A person's performance is never good enough. And so you kind of have this drivenness. It's kind of a, and you've been around people like that. I know it's easy to recognize in other people. But it's a shadow where it's not just you're into excellence. You've crossed the line and there's a shadow part of you that's into perfection. And, uh, and it hurts people, actually. And it makes them feel less than. So, or you can use your power as a police officer or a teacher, and you bully people. And once you've got some power in those kind of situations, if you're not aware, and if you're unconscious because you feel so powerless, and now you're a teacher and some kid gets out of line, and something comes out of you, you're like, wow, where'd that come from, you know? Because you just let them have it, and you exercise your own power in an, in an unhealthy way. So it seems that in terms of, like, consequences of not facing it, and it doesn't seem as if our culture... Uh, does this much? Yeah. Uh, doesn't seem like many Christians do this much. Yeah. Um, the consequences, like, like, what's the consequence to myself, and what's the consequence to others around me? Uh, there's actually there's a number of consequences, but I, I I'll just let's just do two big ones. I mean, first of all, it, it undermines the best of who you are as a person in terms of you know God made you to be a gift to the world, um, and but if your shadow, you're unaware of it, it actually. It, it, um, it, just, it just takes away your, your gift to the world. So, for example, let's say because of your, your feeling inferior, um, like even for me, this is interesting, you know, it's interesting, like for me to actually do this today and like do this book signing, it's very awkward, okay? And someone's confronted me in my own shadow on the way out first service. I mean, what a church, huh? I mean, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And because, it, because I came from a family with abuse. So, you know, like you didn't, you didn't, you didn't like put yourself out there in public. You follow me? You were like always like behind. And um, you get knocked down. And so it was like really weird for me like to do this book interview today. And first time we've done it and then be downstairs and sign books. It's just weird. 
because it goes against my family of origin, this whole thing of it's never good enough. Um, so, for example, you may have a fear of failure for whatever reason, going back. So, therefore, you don't change. You don't, you don't make changes. You don't take risks, and you stay stuck uh, when, really, God's inviting you to move on, but you can't even see it or hear him. And you actually, you begin, to, you don't even hear his voice sometimes because your shadow's so over, over, um, overdoing it. Let's take even, for example, um, you're so sensitive to criticism and people around you know it, so they don't talk honestly to you. They don't, they don't even give you critique because they know you're really touchy. And so you don't get that kind of feedback that we all need from people close to us because we've kind of, you know, somebody like, you know we kind of set up a little uh, a pretend self where we have a, our guard up. And so we, our, our, our true self in Christ, who God uniquely made us, it doesn't come out because even our ability to live in community here, you're limited because your shadow is such that you're defensive and kind of closed and you're very guarded. So people don't really get close to you. So you don't get the kind of input we all need from each other as a community to be able to really grow you know, and get free in Christ. I remember uh, when I first got here, I may have told this before where um, we have reviews after every sermon, after the first service, we have three services. So I'd preach a message, and then Pete said, hey, can I talk to you about the sermon? And I'm like, for what? You know, what, what do you have to talk about for? And then I just want to give you some feedback for the next two services. And he didn't say anything like, that was terrible. He just said, oh, this was great, this was great, this was great. But it's one thing, and he, if you've ever got evaluated at your job, and they said, hey, you did great, you did great, you did great, you did great. But here's one thing. You're not thinking about the nine greats. You're thinking about that one thing. Oh, God, I'm a terrible person. Who is that person? And so Pete's like, you know, can we talk about it? And it touched like my, my shadow side where, oh, man, you mean it wasn't a perfect sermon? No sermon is ever perfect, you know. And, but we all had. So, so, for example, for me, this was like 2007. And I was already very aware of thinking about the future of new life you know, 25 years from now. And my responsibility, in a sense, to steward well, we, 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 we spent $10 million on a building, you know, $6.5 million, massive investment here. And I was aware that my shadow was actually holding New Life Fellowship back. Like, I mean, I, I saw it, that the biggest deterrent to New Life becoming all that God wanted for the next 20 years actually was inside of me. That's why Rich is now the lead pastor. Now it's all inside of him. So <laughs> he's the big problem we got here. That's it, right there. So I, I mean, here's what it looked like. For, I'm going to give you an example, a couple examples of what it looked like for me. Um, I avoided difficult conversations. In other words, I like people to like me. We all like to be liked. That's a good thing. But sometimes you have to have difficult conversations where when you have them, the person that you're having it with may not like you. All right? So as a leader at New Life, like any church, things are happening that need to be corrected, that need to be addressed. But I would avoid those conversations because, hey, if I have a conversation with you, uh, you may not feel very good about Pete's Cazari afterwards. In fact, your wife may not like me either. And so I would just wouldn't have it. And so I actually, I, I realized I, I lied a lot. I mean, I, I'm a really nice guy, but I lie by not saying anything. How's it going? You know, I do a job evaluation, and I would actually lie in the job evaluations. I wouldn't tell them things that were going poorly because I didn't want to upset them. So it looked like things were great, and they really weren't. And I realized, as a result, people were in the wrong spots because I didn't have the courage to have the difficult conversation. It was hurting not just them. I was hurting the whole church. 
and it had to go back, really, it went back to myself. And, and then I realized, actually, my, my family has a, has a pessimistic streak that goes really deep. You know, you can't do this. You don't know what you're doing. And when it came to the executive running of our church, um, you know, I was very intimidated by all the complexities that New Life had developed into. And it was just kind of this deep pessimism that you don't know what you're doing uh, when it comes to all this organizational dynamics. And, um, and so I, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't then dive into it. And once I saw it, I said, okay, no, no, I've learned other things. I can learn this too, and I'll get some training, which I did. And so it was just interesting how that shadow I began to see was in our church. And uh, it was really actually quite frightening. And when I looked at succession, endings and new beginnings, I realized that to do an ending well and to transition to what we've done here was more than just a technique of nine steps. It was going to require some inner stuff in my own life to actually do, to walk this through well. And that was a surprise uh, to me. And so uh, you have the consequences there. And I, I imagine, and you've experienced the gifts, as painful as this uh, sounds like it is. Yeah. Um, what are some of the gifts and, that await us? Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, I, I think... The great scripture for this is, is 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, I will boast about my weaknesses, for God's power is made perfect in weakness. And so um, we, we break its power when we actually like, like see it and grasp it and own it and bring it before God. And we're open about it and vulnerable. So what it looks like is uh, you discover actually there's hidden treasures there. So let, let me tell you, you know, for me... Um, I, I found it was very powerful to actually face it. It was hard. It was like a death. But out of that death came, I'm telling you, it was like a res- I felt like I came alive. I felt like the whole church came alive. I mean, it was tremendous. So a, a good example is Guy Felipe. And it's a true story. Uh, he has, and his wife have five children. And one or two of them are special needs. And they had taken in into foster care two of his nieces. Uh, he lives upstate right now. He used to come to New Life Fellowship. And so his wife wanted to adopt his two nieces. Now, they, they were a handful of work, okay? They were bopped around foster care homes. But his wife wants to adopt them. The social worker's pressuring them to adopt these two children. So now they, they don't have seven. He's a corrections officer, all right? So he's like basically inside flip, flipping out, saying, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. But I, he, he's not saying anything, but he's feeling all this pressure. He's, he's got to adopt these two kids. And um, so they go to meetings with social workers and the you know, city and all that. But he feels powerless. He feels resentful. And he's assuming he has to do it. And so he doesn't, at this point, he is not facing his own shadow in this process. Uh, but he finally does. And he gets honest about his fears of failure, fears of taking these two kids in, fears of his wife of saying how he feels and he might get shot down. So he, he then begins his kind of a, you know, inner work of what's going on inside of him. He actually goes to God with it, and uh, he, sh- he addresses his fear. He gets to silence. He gets to solitude. He talks to some mature people, and then he has a conversation with his wife. And it was actually, we did it at our leadership conference this past year, uh, and it was very intense. He shared his feelings, his fears. If we take these two kids in, she's crying, you know, he's crying. Um, and they talked about it. Nothing got resolved. But what's interesting is then he goes to hear Red uh, at a workshop at our conference, and something Red says so touches him, and he knew it, goes, it was like God spoke to me 
right there. And uh, once he faced his fears, they actually melted, and he decided, I do want to adopt these two kids. And they adopted these two kids. But what's so interesting, it was the journey of facing a shadow that enabled that to actually happen. Uh, but if he had not done that, I don't know what would have happened, but clearly a lot of resentment uh, with his wife and who knows the kids and what would have happened long range. But just opening that space up to God just, you know, set, set him free. Um, I mean, Ruthie's over here, uh, and we were talking about just facing her own shadow of endings, her job transition in her early 50s, and how that forced her to face some things inside of herself in transition. But out of that, and once God got in that space, how she was able to go into a whole new beginning for her life that would never have happened any other way. And so it's that kind of a, it, it, God takes those deaths and valleys of the shadow of death, and as we allow Jesus into them and we hang in there with him, we hang in with Jesus in it, something incredible comes out of it. But it's a death process before the resurrection. And so uh, in closing, Pete, uh, two things. One, I want you to connect all that we're talking about in this series on vital signs. Like how does that impact us facing the shadow? But before that, you talk about the love of God and the power of the love of God and the power of Jesus and the grace of God. Uh, how does the love of God, the love of Jesus, uh, empower us? to do this kind of work of facing your shadow? There's three questions in there, Rich. <laughs> Let's talk about your shadow. How about no? Let's not. I, you, know, I, I, you know, we're talking, you know, just, you know, get, getting, getting this uh, or getting any kind of truth takes time. And this is a taxonomy by an educational psychologist named Benjamin Bloom. Some of you may know him who are in education from the 1950s. And his basic thesis that's used in schools all over the world is that to learn a value or truth takes, has different levels to it. So, for example, let's take, let's take the issue of, let's take racism, right? Racism, I'm aware racism is a problem in our country, you know? Let's ponder. I begin to read about racism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I value it. Nobody should be a racist. But the question to him is like, you don't really know it or get the issues of racism until you change your action and behaviors. And you, you shift your life and you prioritize your whole life around it. And then you own it where it's so much a part of you, you don't even think about it. Everything's informed by it. And his point was you could take any new learning and you've got to understand there's a spectrum of really learning it. So in the same way, shadow, to understand what it means to have a shadow and to face it and move through it for life, it's going to be a process. So at New Life, what we do a lot of is we start with a genogram. Looking at your family growing up, over three to four generations, and how that's impacted who you are today. That's the quickest way to get at shadow. And so we've been doing this seven signs of a deep beneath the surface spirituality as a, as, as a sermon series here. And we've talked about scripture and Sabbath and spiritual companions and stillness and solitude. And we're going to talk about reflection and skills. One of the skills is called genogram your family that we want everyone at New Life Fellowship to do. To look at, so you can be in touch with your shadow, because everyone casts light or darkness out of their person. And the more influence you have, the larger shadow you cast for evil, or the larger shadow you cast for good. That's why becoming self-aware is so important, because then you're able to make choices. I don't want to bring this to my kids. And my possible, my great-grandkids, I don't want to bring this to my team at work. I don't want to bring this to my classroom or, or co-workers. So, Jenny your family is in there. And you want to try to identify what are those negative scripts 
that are in me from my family or from traumas or events from my life. For example, don't make mistakes. You can't make a mistake or don't trust people ever, you know, or conflict is dangerous or, you know, God's got something good for you, but you better not mess it up. And so a lot of us, we have these internalized voices that are not the voice of God. But we've got to identify them, and when they come, we're able to say, that is not the Lord speaking to me. And I can face my shadow, and then I can respond, hopefully, you know, to the love of God. And that's why it's so important that we have a community. We have each other. We've got relationships in small groups because we need each other. This is not a solitary journey. Uh, this is a very much a community journey. So, so my, you know, the love of God, I mean, it's the love of God that makes it safe to come out. I mean, I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you, my, my journey, you know, these 19 years, I, facing your shadow is scary. I mean, I used to be afraid. If I look at what's in here, you know, and we talk about the iceberg a lot, you know, if I look at what's in here, because there's levels of that iceberg, you know, and, and I'm telling you, in 2007, I realized God had some new layers that he wanted to uncover because he had something wonderful for me to going forward, but he had to get at some of that stuff, and I was frightened to death. But it's the love of God that makes it safe. He loves you. And he's not going to uncover stuff that's scary unless he's going to somehow take that and use it for good. Listen, friends, our whole gift as a church to the world, to Queens, to New York City, comes out of our brokenness and weakness. This is the opposite of the world. This is coming from a whole different countercultural way, that, you know, the way of Christ. But it's the love of God that enables us to stay with Jesus when you're saying, God, is this your really will? Do you want me to, not my will, but your will be done? I'm inviting you, we're inviting you to surrender to Jesus. I mean, our journey is one of constantly surrendering to his will and his love and his presence. But it's scary sometimes. And so you want to hear the, that word, don't be afraid. And so as you surrender to his love, you find out, oh my goodness, on the other side of Every death, there is a resurrection. That Jesus really is alive, that I can trust him. And so we invite you to face your shadow. I recognize no one's encouraging you to do that outside. But we are here at New Life Fellowship because we want you to be deeply beneath the surface transformed. And as you go on your journey, whether you're new to Jesus Christ or investigating Christ, or you've been a Christian 20, 30, 40, 50 years, there are places he's going to take you that are new. You can rest assured. There's going to come times he's going to uncover another level of your shadow because he's got another level of resurrection for you. But that's going to be him leading it. But you have a choice. He's not going to force you to tra be transformed. He's going to invite you. He's going to knock on that door of your life just like he has mine. And so this book actually comes out of a very significant moment, not just in my leadership, just actually my whole spiritual life. There was a lot of things he wanted to teach me. But if he was going to teach me, I had to unlearn some things. And as you all know, unlearning is very painful stuff. Uh, give it up for Pete as we uh, close here. Before meeting Pete, I had so much joy. Um, <laughs> Yes, I lived in illusion, you know, but it was, it was joyful illusion, you know. Uh, 
But I mean that on sincerity. Pete has helped me to, to face my own shadow and grow in the love of God and, and grow in, in how God wants to change me. And, and God wants to do the same for us as well. So as I mentioned, Pete downstairs is going to be uh, signing books. You can pick it up downstairs. I want to invite the worship team to come up. Let's all stand together um, as we just sing in response. And then I'll close our service. I want to invite the prayer team as well to come forward. Um, because some of you today, maybe you know what your shadow is. You know that the dark side of who you are, the shadow side of who you are, and some of it maybe it's, it's sin, it's addiction, it's whatever, or some of it is just the tendencies that mar, um, you know, the image of God in you. And so I want to just sing a, a song of response. Lord, uh, give us courage to face our shadows because there is a resurrection that's coming. If we um, embrace these small and great deaths, and so, Lord, speak to us. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have our prayer team to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left where we take of the bread and dip it in the cup. Be reminded that Jesus Christ, he went to the darkest of places. And when we go to our own dark places, we don't go alone. He goes with us. He's familiar with the terrain. He's been to the deepest darkness, and he goes with us. He knows how to lead us out of it as well. And so you can come and take the bread uh, and the cup there. For some of you today, maybe you've been, you have decisions before you. And I love how Daniel said it in the story where he's making decisions, trying to be someone who he's not. And that's the shadow in all of us, trying to be someone we're not, do things that God never called me to do. Because we want to be seen in a particular way. And many of you are probably making decisions right now, not done out of really what God wants for you, but it's out of your shadow. And God wants to spare you of years of unnecessary pain. I, I, I mean, I hate to be so crass. Jerry, from time to time, I say there, there is good suffering and then there's stupid suffering. And there, that's, that's the suffering that God said, I didn't plan that for you. You plan that for yourself. And then that's the suffering that God allows us to come our way, where God says, I'm going to use this in, in, a special, in a special way. But today's an opportunity for us to face our shadow. We have our prayer team here. Maybe at a place right now you realize there's uh, anger, uh, a need for affirmation, uh, a sin, an addiction, that your dark side is coming alive. And you realize you need the power of God to be transformed here. So we have our prayer team that would love to pray with you. Uh, and we'll stay as long as we need to. But as we close, uh, I want to invite you to open uh, your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new at New Life, we do this every Sunday because this is a posture. So with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with great courage to face your shadow. And may you encounter the power of God as you do so. And may he change you from the inside out. And may you be a gift to the world. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said... Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.